Hi friends, Brad here, the lead pastor of a new church called The Table. This podcast is a short insight to what we do every week, and we think that long, drawn-out messages lose meaning. So over the course of this podcast, you'll find questions that we pose to our people that they'll discuss in real time. And so we would love for you to find time to reflect on these questions as well. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and check us out at thetablejoliet.org. Welcome, Table Tribe. It's so good to see you this morning here. Uh, I'm Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And I uh, just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here today. I know that it's Sunday. There's a Bears game. You could be anywhere else but here. But I just want to thank you for taking time to hang out with us this morning. Uh, before we get started in our series, a couple things I want to cover. Unfortunately, I hate talking about this stuff, but I just have to do it. Uh, the first one is this. It's a business item. I know you didn't come to church for business, but um, we had this thing where a non Profit as a church, and we're required, uh, our bylaws require that we actually have advisors or people or board members who, you know, who essentially oversee the church and oversee me. Uh, they know that I'll get a wild hair occasionally and do something crazy, and so to keep me in control, uh, we actually have to vote people in that will sort of help guide me when I get a little bit crazy at times. And so um, that'll be in two weeks. In two weeks, we are voting for uh, some of those leaders. We've already done the homework for you, and these are trusted people who have helped launch the table with us and uh, we just think they'll be great leaders there's a voter uh, can we say that a voter guide Ooh, I hate that there's a voter guide other uh, bios good-looking pictures good bios back in the back at next steps that you can have you can figure out who they are but great thing is there'll be no voter boxes we are gonna send you an electronic email that allows you to vote that way that's pretty cool right so uh, but here's the important thing right everybody's gonna get a chance to vote unfortunately only the people who are members have a say and, and, and so we're just saying this we would love for you to be a member of the ch- at the church here it's not like um, a golf club membership or something it's not like you get frequent flyer miles or anything like that um, what it is is essentially saying hey I'm committed to this church I'm, I'm entering into a relationship with this church and I want a say in what goes on here and so uh, if you want to do that you can go back at the end of the day go to the next steps area I know we keep talking about that but that's just where you go go there and um, we'll have some Somebody there that will get your information and then next week uh, I will meet you back in the corner after service we'll talk about all that and then you guys will be part of the family which is cool uh, the thing I really want to talk about though this morning is love moves us this Christmas you guys remember this from last week. If you were here last week, uh, we partner with an organization called Love Moves Us. And this organization is interested in helping adoptive and fostered families. So they get a lot of uh, help in the front end, but on the back end, nobody's ever helping them. And so this organization um, coaches, guides, helps. They gather in groups. They talk them through this, what it like, is like to parent, um, foster, and adopt kids. And so uh, we are partnering with them this Christmas to help them. And so our goal is to raise a thousand dollars this Christmas. Now, I just want to clue you in. Uh, we're doing okay. I think we can do better. We're at th- around 275 at this point. We have a little ways to go before next week, and it ends next Sunday. So uh, you can give, as Todd said, via text. Anything that is sent via text, can we throw that number one more time? Anything that's sent $25 via text through the next week goes directly to Love Moves Us, and you can send as many $25 as you would like. We just will know that that's from you toward love moves us but we want to raise a thousand dollars for these families a lot of these um, families have single mothers single parents in it and so we want to help them out this Christmas can we do that 
All right, let's do it. Let's do it together. Let's give a hand for those who have given up to this point uh, nearly a quarter of what we're trying to reach. So let's give them a hand this morning. Well, we are continuing our series uh, Christmas Extra. We are in the third part of this series. And so this morning as we begin, uh, we've been working with this idea that there are always, it's the extra in the story, the person that nobody ever talks about. And there are a lot of those in the Christmas story. And so we've been looking at those people over the course of the last few weeks. But we've been saying this, the extra is essential to moving the story forward. And so we're going to continue to work with that theme this morning. Would you pray for me as we begin? Lord, we invite you into this space, into this moment, and we pray that you would be with us, that you would speak to our hearts, that our minds and our hearts would be open and receptive to you. We pray that you would fill us. I pray that you would be, be with me in this time of teaching. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. All right, you ever talk about what you need to talk about, and you never talk about it, and the more you don't talk about it, the more tension it creates? You ever had this happen before? You know what I'm talking about when you ask your significant other and you say to them, hey, where do you want to eat tonight? And they say, I don't know, I'm tired, could you pick? You ever notice what happens when that happens? Is when you pick, the person who wasn't picking gets picky about where we're going, right? Like, oh, we should go here. No, I don't think we should go there. And so you just kind of shut up. You stop talking about it because there's no point talking about it because you can't pick the right place to begin with. Pretty frustrating creates a lot of tension. Some of you have teenagers. A lot of you have teenagers in here. And students, I know you would never do this, but sometimes you come home after a bad day of school and you just walk straight to your room past your parents and you slam the door like they did something wrong. And of course, as a parent, you know that you should talk to them about it, but you don't want to talk about it. And the more you don't talk about it, the more awkward it gets, right? We, we've, had this, uh, we've had this happen with our boss. I know some of you Know that you, you think better than the boss. You can do better than the boss. And that's really true. Most of the time, bosses have no clue what they're doing anyway. They're just pretending. Um, but when you think you can do better and you let your opinion known about that and then they know that you have an opinion about that and you disagree on it and you just walk by each other in the hall or in the workplace, it, it can be really awkward because both of you are thinking the same thing but nobody wants to say anything about it. Here's what I really know too. The more people involved, the worse the tension gets. You ever, ever been on an elevator? Like, is this not weird? Anybody had this happen before? It's not weird. How many of you have gone on a double date? Maybe you've gone out with a group of friends. Uh, maybe you've been at a fundraiser with a bunch of people that you didn't know, and uh, you're sitting there looking around. And of course, here's what happens. Like, we run out of things to say. Hi can only go so far. And um, you, you stop talking, and everybody gets a little weird and a little sweaty. And so we pick out our phones, and, oh, yeah, so-and-so didn't text me, but I'm going to pretend like they sent me a message because, I, you know, this is just, I don't want to look up from this phone because this is weird. Or you start sending text messages or you're checking email or you're looking at social media because it's just really awkward. And so I can sense this morning, one of the things we love to do here is we love to talk during the talk. So usually this is the point where I will pose a question to you and we say, hey, if you're an introvert, don't worry. You don't need to talk to anybody. You can just take notes or text. That's totally cool. But this morning I want to play a game to make my point because I'm getting the sense that you don't know what it's like to be in an awkward situation. I'm getting the sense that you've never had a group of people that you've been with and you know that y'all should say something, but nobody's saying anything. And so we're going to practice that today. It's going to be so fun. You've done this with your kids or you've done this with your parents. I do this with my boys. Ever been on vacation? And it's like, hey, mom, hey, mom, hey, mom, hey, mom, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. Or you've been in a group, uh, a car with a group of middle school kids who are singing their guts out. It's like, hey, let's play the silent game. 
Let's see who can go the longest without talking. And so to make it fun, and we're not going to do the whole two minutes this morning. We're going to do a quick, I want you to turn to somebody around you. I want to turn to your partner, and I want you to have a staring contest. Because we're going to see how awkward. I don't want anybody talking. If you talk, you lose. But this is making my point this morning, so just hang with me. So turn to your partner. If you're alone, I guess what? You win. No big deal. Just keep staring forward. Not a big deal. You can stare at me. Uh, that'll be fine. We'll, we'll work this whole thing out. So let's stare for just a minute at each other. See who can win. Don't break the silence. And we'll come back. So let's go back to the awkward pause for just a moment. You know the deafening silence when you have to stare at somebody or sit in a group of people and nobody's saying anything, but you just wish someone would say something, right? You, you know this, that when you're in a group of people and there's this awkward pause and you run out of things to say, you just wish that somebody would say something. In fact, you've had this before. You've had somebody who got the guts, who had the gumption to just to simply acknowledge the fact that this is awkward. They say, hey, wow, this is really weird. Or they said, hey, I'm glad we run out of things to talk about. Let's talk about something else. And of course, the moment that somebody breaks the silence is the moment that everybody goes back to being normal and the conversation kind of eases and everybody kind of relaxes and the party gets going again, right? It takes somebody to speak up in order to get the story to move forward this morning. And so I love this because uh, we're going to look at a Christmas story and we're going to tell a story that I don't think we often tell within the context of Christmas. Uh, and it's actually a story that we never talk about. In fact, when we do talk about this story, we never actually talk about the parts we're going to talk about today because I don't think your parents wanted you to know half the stuff that we're going to talk about. And so this morning, that's right, this morning we're going to look at this amazing story in the book of Joshua. And I know you're saying, hey, I'm new here. I'm, I'm, I don't know what a Bible is. I don't know who Joshua is. Hey, hey, no worries. I'm still learning as well. I'm still discovering all these stories. But I just want you to know, Joshua is at the beginning of God's story. It's right at the front. Uh, you can find it. It's about five books in. But let me just catch you up because it's so important. Joshua is part of a community that has been chosen by God to bless the world. Now, I know that sounds really churchy, so let me, just, let me just bring it down for just a minute. God has chosen a specific community to express to the world what he is like. In other words, uh, everybody has their idea of what gods are like or what gods are out there, but God has chosen this particular community to go ahead and express his very likeness to the world and how much he loves and cares for the world. And so this community goes around blessing people, but it's also interesting because their story's really broken and really messed up. In fact, here's, here's what I know. Um, sometimes we see the end game of what God has done and we completely miss the backstory. But, but the backstory is essential to the real story. 
See, I think to see sometimes where a God is, we have to know where someone else has been. And a lot of times we want to cover up where we've been because it's pretty ugly and it's pretty messy. And guess what? The people who are supposed to be a blessing to the world, yeah, their background, their backstory, it's pretty messy. In fact, when we meet this community, they have been enslaved for nearly four centuries. And just when they think things are going to get together and just when they think they're going to walk out and things are free, they start wandering in a desert for nearly four decades. And of course, it's during this decade that they start to suffer, they start to complain, they start to die off. In fact, we know generations of people didn't make it to freedom and generations of people didn't find the land that God had promised them. And so when we're introduced to this story this morning, these people are at a place where they're going from landless slaves to landowners and freedom. So here's how the story begins. Y'all ready for this? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Are you guys going to help me out today? Oh, okay. Can we do this? Yeah. Hey, if you've, if you've been at church your whole life, you know this song, right? If you don't, hey, don't worry about it. We're just going to sing it for you. Come on up here, child. Let's do this. Are you going to help me sing this? All right, one time. Here we go. Just one time. That's it. Joshua bit the battle of Jericho. Joshua bit the battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling. All right, that's it. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. That's enough. Thank you. That's it. That's the story. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Well, that is the story today, but here's where, here we go. Ready? I just wanted to get that out of me this morning. Now, the gates of Jericho were, were securely barred because of the Israelites, and no one went out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days over and over and over. Have seven priests carry trumpets. Thanks, David, by the way, for bringing out the trumpet. Carry trumpets of ram's horns in the front of the ark. And so on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. And when you hear the sound of a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then... The wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, and everyone can go straight in. Now, here's what I know about this good old story. If you grew up with this story, and here's the cool thing. Even if you haven't been to church, you've probably heard reference to this story at some point in your life. There are about four themes that we always love to, to, to follow when it comes to this. The first one is this. Yeah, we all have Jerichos in our life, and God fights the battles for us. I get it. Okay, that's number one. The second one is that a lot of times there are people who will justify war and violence because of this story. And they'll say, hey, God uses war. God uses violence to justify his purposes throughout the world. Okay, and for me, I had a huge problem with that. So I'm in the third category, which are these people who say, listen, there's nothing about this story in the Old Testament that really matches up with what happens in the New Testament. In fact, there's no congruence with that and what happens in Jesus' life. And so we just completely dismiss the story because it's like, yeah, that was just fake. It was a fable. It has no relevance to what God's doing. And then there's the fourth group of you who say, thanks for this story. This is the reason why I don't believe in God. 
In fact, it looks to me like God goes around destroying cities, destroying people. He's making a mess of things. And quite frankly, I would prefer a God who actually does great things in the world, not messing the whole, whole thing up. Are you with me on this? So this morning, I want to set aside for just a minute all of those opinions, all of those presuppositions that we have had about this particular story for just a minute, because I want to introduce you to the backstory. You see, the backstory is that Joshua was part of a community and was part of a time in life where you lived in a tribe. And tribes would go around and they would acquire wealth, they would acquire land, they would take back what was rightfully theirs, and they would protect their community. I mean, this is what tribes did. They would protect and they would take care of and they would love each other. But man, they would, they would protect their community at all costs. And so what we get is we get a time in life where people are barbaric. They are absolutely violent. They are heartless. They are gutless. In fact, I love it when people say, well, I'll tell you what, the world today has never been worse than it is today. Would you shut up? I mean, for real, just a second, think about this. Back then, back then, think about this. Uh, you were allowed to sacrifice your children. Back then, they had sacred prostitution. I mean, back then, they would use some of the most poor and underprivileged people in society, and they'd say, that's okay. And so they would do this. They would go around, and they would use the name of their God, saying, well, my God told me to do this, and my God said this, and look, my God told me to kill my kids because they misbehaved this morning. You know, stuff like that would go on all the time. And so Joshua's living in this backstory, a time where this is just what you do. Wrong or right, Joshua is living in a time where, hey, you go around. God has promised us goodness. He's promised us blessing. He's promised us to be a blessing to the world. And I'm not really sure what that looks like, so we're just going to do what everybody else does. And I know that, that as we unpack that story, it's really ugly and it's really nasty. And you can say, Brad, that's why I don't believe in the Bible. That's why I don't believe in God to begin with. I totally get that. But, but hear me say this. The backstory is essential to helping us see a better story. The backstory is necessary to see a better story. So I'm going to pose one more question this morning. And again, if you're new and you're not comfortable talking to people, totally cool. We just want to give you time to talk during the talk. And so you can either talk to your neighbor, you can text somebody, or if you're an introvert, you can take notes. We're cool with that. But this is a fun little question, and we'll connect it all together in just a minute. When you think of Christmas, when you think of Christmas, what are some traditions that you have in your family? When you think about Christmas, man, what gives you the warm fuzzies? Last night I went driving around with my little guys. We were drinking hot chocolate and looking at lights. That gives me warm fuzzies. So for you, what about you? Turn to your neighbor, turn to your partner, talk about this, and we're going to connect this all in just a minute.
a lot of times a back a backstory is necessary to understand the better story. In fact, uh, I just want to let you know where we are in this whole thing at this point. We, we've discovered the backstory, which unfortunately is ugly and nasty, and it's violent and it's messy, and r- nobody really likes to talk about that part of the story. But there's a better part of the story. But in order to get to the better part of the story, I actually need to talk to you about the part in the middle. In fact, I call it a hinge point. A hinge point. David said it's a linchpin. No, it's a hinge point. Everything hinges upon this very moment. (laughs) The whole story, where we're headed and what we're doing hinges. It is the fulcrum of this moment. And this is the part of this story. We've all heard the Jericho story. But my guess is this is the part that nobody ever talks about. Nobody ever talks about this part of this story. And I love how it goes. Here's, Here's how it goes. It says... When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. Tough guy, right? Looks like the movies, you know, somebody's glowing with a sword and, you know, something like that. So he's standing there in front of him. He's got this drawn sword and Joshua's not really here, you know, sure who this guy is. And so Joshua went up to him and he asked him this question. He says, say it with me now, are you for us? Or for our enemies? Are you for us? Or are you for our enemies? See, see, when, when your God is for war, the question is, who is he for? I mean, this is really what Joshua wants to figure out. God, you say that you're on our side. You say that you're going to help us out. <laughs> I got to know, hey, who are you for? In fact, I don't know if you know this, but this really is the lie of today. See, we we think you have to be on one side or the other. It is us versus them. It is right or wrong. It is black, it is white. And, And so often, this is why we get where we are is because it's always this us versus them mentality. So as Joshua stands before this intimidating person with a sword, listen to what? This person says, and I'm telling you, this is so important to the whole story. This is what he says. Neither. Wait a minute. You're supposed to be for us, right? Not for them. This is our enemy. Hello, I don't know if you know how this works. This is how the game works. Like, we fight them, we win because you're for us. And notice how he identifies himself. He stands before me and says, hey, neither He says, but as the commander of God's army, the Lord's army. I love how he says that. It's neither. Hey, I'm the one in charge. I don't know if you know this. I'm the commander. I'm the commander of God's army. I'm the one that's right in front of you. He says, I have now come. Look at this. It's neither. Yeah, you can keep going. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does the Lord have for his servant? It's neither. And the commander of the Lord's army replies, take off your sandals for the place you're standing on is holy ground. And Joshua did so. You see, I love this this thought that neither is the new way forward. I love this thought that, that God stands up before them in a time, in a place, in a backstory that says, hey, it's us, for, us versus them. It's eaten or be eaten. And I love it. He stands up. God identifies himself and says, hey, 
I'm not for us. I'm not for them. I'm just for. I'm for all humanity. You see, I don't think we get this about God at times. God doesn't care whether you're black, white, where you've come from, with orientation. It doesn't matter what you've messed up or what you screwed up or, you know, how bad it's been in your life. God does not care. All I know is that he is just for all humanity in the kingdom of God and in the church of Christ. There is no us versus them. By the way, remember this next November when we're all hanging out together and it's election season. There is no us versus them. There is only us. It's the truth and the beauty of how God identifies himself. Neither is the new way forward. This is a new way forward. Now, I know you're saying, can you, can you connect the dots here? Sure, so you're asking me, what was the question about Christmas is about? Check this out. Here's the reason why I think we love Christmas so much. It's about nostalgia. It's about the way we do things. It's about tradition. It's about history. It's about pattern. Everybody loves, you know, gathering around the Christmas tree and, and putting ornaments on it. Everybody loves, well, not everybody. I love listening to the Rat Pack and Frank Sinatra and all those guys sing beautiful Christmas songs. I love that. One of my favorite things to do. Love used to going over to my grandparents and eating Buckeyes. I know, you're like, what's a Buckeye? I'll make some for you and you'll love them. But I think for so many of us, Christmas is about the backstory. How many of you have ever gone out on a limb and tried to do something new? How many of you have called your grandparents up and said, hey, I know we usually come over for the whole week or we come over on Christmas Eve, but on this Christmas Eve, we're going to go to the table. I'm really sorry. <laughs> That's a good pitch for Christmas Eve services on uh, Christmas Eve, four and six o'clock. Love to see you there. But this year, we're not going to come to Christmas Eve dinner. We're, we're actually going to go to the table with our family. We'd love for you to come. I know it's new. I know it's different, right? Or maybe you've called up your parents. Have you ever done this before? You, you've got kids now. You've grown up. You've called your parents, and you've said, hey, um, I know that typically we come over Christmas morning, and we open gifts, and we have this big old day, and we eat dinner together. But this Christmas, I think we're going to spend the morning with just our family. Have you ever done that before? And you can hear the gasp on the other side. <gasps> What do you mean you're not coming? Are, are we not good grandparents? Do we not give, give good gifts to our kids? Do we not feed them enough sugar? Like, oh, I get it, right? I get it. We're not as cool as the other in-laws. I get it. I know how that works. Okay, I hear what you're saying. And they're saying, what's the deal? Like, is it us? And you're saying, no, it's, it's neither. See, it's just about a new way of doing something new. In fact, here's what I know. If you didn't step out on a limb, if you didn't dive into the neither, like you would actually continue to do traditions with people that no longer exist. I mean, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're going to die. We're all going to die. Your grandparents are going to die. Your parents are going to die. Everybody's going to die at some point. And guess what? Usually their tradition dies with them. So the backstory dies with them. And it is essential for us, it is essential for people to see that God doesn't live in the backstory, but he is always moving people forward. But the backstory is essential to seeing the new thing that he's doing. In fact, here's why I think Joshua grew up in a pattern of life where violence was the way. Because he was part of something and he could see what it was like and he could see the mess that had happened. And then when God's commander stands up in front of him and says, hey, we are no longer going to live this way. It is not us versus them. 
God is just for all of humanity. He can see it. Oh, man. When you, when you put this way, that God is just for people, up against that God would just pick a side and then annihilate the other side, which one do you want? I know which one I'm picking. And so I love it because the story begins to flesh itself out. And what's so fun is this is part, this is part of the Christmas story that we never talk about that I think you'll love. I'm going to read it today because uh, I've been accused of not reading enough scripture in church. So here we go. I'm going to prove you wrong today. Uh, this is a great story. This is the neither. This is the new way forward. And I love this. It's found in Joshua 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. I know it sounds like a terrible place to live, right? He says, go look over the land. He, uh, the story will get better, I promise. He says, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered a prostitute's house. I know, right? I thought the story was going to get better. It doesn't. So they entered the prostitute's house named Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight, and they went to spy out our land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. He said, hey, bring those men that came into your house. Like, hey, bring them. I saw them enter your house because they have come to spy out our land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And I love how she lies. We'll get in that in another day. Is lying okay? But she lies here. She said, yeah, the men came to me, but I don't know where they went. They'd come, they've gone. It was dusk and it was time to close the city gate. They left. I don't know which way they went. She said, hey, you better hurry up and go after them quickly so you can catch up with them. And then in parentheses, I love this. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So then the men sent out in pursuit of the spies on the road and leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down that night, she went up to the roof and said to them, and I love this, hone in here, this is so good. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and when you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Yeah, we saw that, we know that. And when we heard of it, it melted our hearts in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. Now check this out. This is so interesting what she says. Within the context that Joshua's community is to bring a blessing to the world, she says this. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Your God is present in our midst. She says this, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown you kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. So you fast forward a few chapters and the whole Jericho thing, everybody's marching, we talked about, we sang the song, everybody's marching around the city, everybody blows their trumpets, the walls come tumbling down, the armies go in, you know this whole story, right? Right, well, check out how it ends. 
In chapter six, it says this. After everything was done and after everything was annihilated and everything was fallen, Joshua said to the two men who had uh, uh, spied out the land, he said, go into the prostitute's house. I love how he doesn't call her by her name. He just says, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and haul all who belong with her in accordance with your oath. So the young men who had done the spying went in and they brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and her sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought her out into the entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Of course, then they burned the whole city and they did their whole thing. But check this out in verse 25, it says, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent across Jericho. And check this out. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. You see, I've struggled with this story for so long. Most of my life, I've read this story and I've had major issues and major problems with it because I can't understand how a loving God would do such a thing. But the part that I've always missed was the end of the story. This was the part that I always missed and it's so essential to moving the story forward. In fact, this is the better part of the story. See, I was so focused on the backstory, I couldn't see the better part of what God was wanting to do. And I find it funny, out of all the people that God could have chosen, I'm sure there were some good people, I'm sure there were some good church people that were in Jericho, I don't know, but he chooses out of all people, a prostitute. A prostitute. And I love how they say that her story continues or she lives among the Israelites to this day. You know what? Nowhere else in scripture do we find reference or do we find history that Rahab actually lived with with the Israelites. But here's what I think this means. And you're saying, can you connect this to Christmas? Where's the Christmas story? Remember, a prostitute, a prostitute. Here's what Matthew says. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Genealogy means, by the way, uh, Jesus was born, came through these people. I mean, you know this, you're smart people, you get this. This is how Jesus came about. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He continues, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, by the way. Anybody that says the Bible is boring, just go look up Tamar's whole story, that's crazy. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Minadab, Minadab the father of Nelson, Nelson the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, a prostitute. You see, when we read the genealogy of Jesus, we always just skip over that. Who, who cares about that? Well, I care. Because in this story of Jericho, God uses and redeems a prostitute to tell his story. And what I love is he doesn't go back and say, hey, I know that you're a prostitute, but in order to tell this story, could you stop being a prostitute? (laughs) Could could you stop sleeping with guys? Could you stop doing this? Because I really want to do something awesome in, in your life, but I just need you to stop doing this for just a minute. See, that's not what happens. In fact, Joshua, when he writes the story, says, hey, no, no, we brought out a prostitute. And here's how. Here's how this connects to us. See, God works where you are, not where you think you should be. I mean, 
if God can put Rahab in his genealogy to tell his story, if he can redeem Rahab, my goodness, he can surely save me. God works. Check this out. I think this is so important. This is what Rahab shows us. This is why she's essential to the story, is that God works where you are, not where you think you should be. See, if I could jump into your shoes for just a minute, some of you are in the middle of your backstory and it's pretty messy, it's pretty nasty, it's ugly. Nobody ever wants to talk about how we're screwing everything up. We're terrible parents, we're addicted to this, we've got major issues, I get that. Nobody ever wants to talk about that. In fact, a lot of times we think that in order to come to this place, in order to come into the presence of God, we have to fix all of it. I meet person after person after person who says, you know what, Brad, I'll come to your church someday and someday I'll give my life to God, but only when I get it right. Nothing says Christmas like a prostitute. And if God can put a prostitute in his story, then there is a place for you and a place for me. Can I just tell you now, quit waiting to fix yourself because you can't fix yourself. God is ready to work right where you are, in that place, in that mess, in that backstory. Because I promise you this, if you allow him to start in this moment, you will find a better story. Isn't that the beauty of how God works at Christmas? Yeah, you can clap for that. You can clap for that, it's good. So this morning, before we close out, and I want to pray for you, a couple of things. You, you were given these cards this morning, uh, and I know we missed it last week, but we gave you a candle your first week, and we would love each week, part of Advent or the season of waiting for Jesus is just reminders of what we're going through. And so my family loves to sit at the table, and we, we'll light the candles, and we will, we will recite this. We'll look over this. It's a great reminder throughout the week. God works where you are, not where you should be. Go ahead, pick up a Bible. If you don't have one, we're happy to give it to you. There's one in the back, we'll pass them out to you. But read the story of Rahab this week. Find yourself somewhere in that story and just think that God works for you. And so I'm just here to tell you this morning, this morning there are some of you here who need a better story. And so I'm gonna give you that opportunity. So let's pray this morning. If you're here this morning and you are ready for God to work where you are, just pray this prayer with me. Lord, I give you my life. Lord, I give you my life. I give you all of me so that you can live inside of and you can lead all of me. Lord, I thank you for the person this morning who's prayed that prayer. I pray that you would meet them in the struggle and the hardship and the pain and the depression and the addiction, I pray where whatever they're going through, God, I just pray in that moment, whether it's doubt, it's fear, it's questions of how we parent, whether it's questions about our future, questions about our ability to do something, I just pray that we would sense your presence, that you are willing to work where we are, not where we think you want us to be. And so we give our lives to you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. Amen. So would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna dismiss you. We're gonna pray this prayer together. And as you exit, um, 
I tell you what, if you prayed that prayer this morning, and I know everybody's supposed to do this anyway, would you just let us know, hey, today I gave my life to Jesus, or hey, today I recommitted my life to Jesus, or hey, today I would love, I would love to be baptized. I would love that opportunity to be baptized. Would you just tear that off and put it in the black uh, boxes in the back where it says give, connect, pray? And so as we leave here, may we remember that God is for you, but he's also for the people who aren't here this morning. And so let's pray this. Jesus, bring someone across my path who needs to know you. Give me the eyes to see them, the ears to listen to them, the arms to embrace them, and the heart to love them well. Remember this week, God works where you are, not where you should be. You're dismissed. Have an awesome week.